Welcome to the Life Christian Church Podcast, where our mission is to inspire people to the life God dreams for them as we spread His love in ever-widening circles. If we haven't met, my name's Terry Smith. I'm the lead pastor here at the Life Christian Church, and I'm going to teach for a little while some things that I hope will uh, impact your life in uh, eternally important ways. Um, So in March of 1904, the great escape artist Houdini um, was challenged to a contest by a newspaper in London. They, They wanted to handcuff him with a real complex form of handcuffs each of these these handcuffs had six locks on each cuff and nine tumblers on each lock, whatever that means. And they uh, evidently put several of these on him and and behind his back. Well, he accepted the challenge, uh, and this this challenge took place at the London Hippodrome, which was a uh, type of uh, arena. And um, so when, when he actually got in front of the thousands of people who were there, he, he ducked down in a box to work to free himself of these handcuffs out of the sight of the, of the people who were watching. And he ducked down in the box, and uh, about 20 minutes later, he popped out of the box, and the crowd went crazy, uh, but they saw that he still was cuffed. And uh, he just smiled, and uh, then he ducked down into the box again. And about 15 minutes later, he pops out of the box, and the crowd goes crazy again. But then they see that he still has the handcuffs on. And uh, this time, he said that he just needed to flex his knees, and then down into the box, he went again. About 20 more minutes, he pops out of the box. The crowd, maybe not as crazy this time. Uh, Sure enough, he still had the handcuffs on, but somehow he'd taken a pocket knife out of his uh, jacket pocket with his with his mouth held the knife in his teeth and he cut the coat he was wearing off of himself cut it to shreds and somehow shrugged out of it he was hot and down into the box he went again and about 10 minutes later he pops back up and this time the crowd saw that the cuffs were gone and they went they went wild for sure this time well later a, a reporter asked Houdini why did you keep popping out of the box. And Houdini said, I kept popping out of the box because I needed to hear the encouragement of the crowd. And I, I like that picture that he's down there struggling to get set free from, from this stuff. And uh, even though he wasn't free, he kept coming out just so people could cheer him on. I like that a lot. Here's my promise to you, whether you're here in person or watching online. If you'll just keep popping up, I should say it this way. If you'll just keep showing up, we're going to encourage your faith. We're going to encourage the faith that you need to connect with God and the faith that you need to actualize the life God dreamed for you. This is actually one of the great themes in the book of Hebrews, which we've been teaching through, not popping up, but showing up. Uh, just to remind you a little bit as to what was what's going on in Hebrews, uh, and I'll be quick about this because we've talked about it at length in recent weeks. 
Hebrews was written to a small group of Jewish Christians living in Rome in the mid-A.D. 60s, and they were experiencing a lot of discouragement, a lot of discouragement. Because of their faith in Jesus, they'd been rejected by their Jewish brothers and sisters, and they also had been rejected by the, the Romans. And uh, so they were so discouraged that a number of them had stopped showing up to their weekly meetings. And they were so discouraged that some of them were considering going back to pre-conversion ways of life. For many of them, these Jewish followers of Jesus, that meant going back to the synagogue. For others, we're not sure exactly what that would have looked like, but they were discouraged. And the writer of the Hebrews was doing everything that he could to encourage their faith and challenging them to encourage each other's faith. And this is why a really key passage in Hebrews is Hebrews 10, 23, where the writer said, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess For he who promised is faithful, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. One of the many things that happens when we show up here on a Sunday morning is that we have the opportunity to encourage each other in our faith. And it's so important that we cheer each other on because ultimately it's our level of faith that allows us to continue to be connected to God and to actualize his promises in our life. So um, last week we taught through Hebrews chapter 3, at least in part. And uh, I told you that we would pick up this week where we left off last week. The theme of Hebrews chapter 3 is that the Jews in the wilderness led by Moses missed out on the promised land or what the writer calls uh, in the text God's rest because of their unbelief. And the pastor who wrote this letter or really a sermon to these Jewish Christians told them that if they weren't careful, that they were going to miss out on something even better than the promised land because Jesus, he told them, is greater than Moses. And Moses, though he made a great promise of the promised land, cannot match the promise that Jesus makes of life with God now and forever. And he essentially says, if you don't keep your faith, and if you don't encourage each other's faith, then you're going to miss out on something even more precious than the promised land. So with that in mind, let's pick up where we left off last week. Uh, And I'll do it this way uh, this week. Last week I talked about the sin of unbelief. I want to continue that theme today. And uh, today I want to organize my uh, teaching like this, three antidotes to the sin of unbelief. The first one, and this is point three of last week for those of you who are always concerned about filling in all the blanks on the life notes and you have trouble sleeping during the week if you didn't get everything filled in. Well, this is point three of last week is point one of this week, okay? Remember that faith and fear are both contagious and both impact us all. And so let's pick up in Hebrews chapter three, um, 
and the, the 12th verse. Listen, if you're new to us, uh, I'm so glad you're here. And uh, perhaps I should just pause and take a breath for a minute because I have a lot of stuff to cover. And so I'm kind of getting into it quickly. Perhaps I should pause and just say that during this first trimester here of 2022 at the Life Christian Church, we're teaching through this letter to the Hebrews in the New Testament. We're teaching through it verse by verse, section by section. And so at this point, we're up to Hebrews chapter 3, verse uh, I'm actually going to start at verse 12 now. Here's what the writer of the Hebrews says. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart. So part of what the writer of the Hebrews has established is that unbelief is a sin. And by unbelief, we're talking specifically uh, whether or not one believes that God is who he says he is, does what he says he does, did what he said he did through Jesus, will do in your life what he's promised to do through his word. He says to not believe is a sin. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but encourage one another daily, as long as it's called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. I read uh, several scholars on this, of course, in preparation, and uh, if you're looking for some mystery meaning for the word today, you need not look any further. The word today simply means today. It's a, it's, a, it's a word that's used both in Old and New Testament, and it's talking about what God is doing right now. So, encourage one another, as long as it's called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. What happens when you get caught up in the sin of unbelief is you end up with a hard heart that is manifest in all kinds of negative ways. We have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the end. So here are these, uh, these believers in Rome had believed in Jesus and uh, had come into a, a, a relationship with God through Jesus. But now the question is whether or not they could keep their faith and not get caught up in discouragement and miss out on everything God wanted to do in their life. As has just been said, and now he begins to quote from the 95th Psalm, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion who were they who heard and rebelled? Were not they not all those Moses led out of Egypt? And with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not those who sinned, whose bodies perished in the wilderness? And to whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest, if not to those who disobeyed? So, in this section of Hebrews, the section of Hebrews that stretches from uh, chapter 3, verse 7 to chapter 4, verse 7, the writer quotes repeatedly from the 95th Psalm. The 95th Psalm was a psalm that was very familiar to these Jewish followers of Jesus because the 95th Psalm, its opening, was the call to worship at Sabbath every week, call to worship and to the synagogue. So they were all familiar with this, uh, and this recitation of uh, the history of their forefathers who missed the promised land because of their lack of faith. And repeatedly, the writer to the Hebrews quotes this, kind of throws in their face almost, this passage about how 
an entire generation of their Jewish fathers and mothers missed what God was doing because of a lack of faith. And so let's just, because it's so important, let's go back and read a little bit of the 95th Psalm and comment on it and kind of get a little uh, reminder of what's going on here. Here's the 95th Psalm. Today, if only you would hear his voice, and the writer of Hebrews says that David wrote this psalm. Today, if only you would hear his voice. One other thing. This is now a long time after the, the Jews who missed the promised land in the wilderness. And it's, a, it's a quite some time before the Hebrews are reading this. It's kind of a middle point in the history of, of, of Judaism. Today, if only you would hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did at Meribah, as you did that day at Massa. Those two words are actually important in the wilderness. Where your ancestors tested me. This is God speaking through David now. They tried me, though they had seen what I did for 40 years. I was angry with that generation. I said, they are a people whose hearts go astray and they have not known my ways. So I declared in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. So when you see the words Meribah and Massa, they had particular meaning in the history of all this because they are bookends on the 40-year wilderness journey of the people of God in the wilderness from the time they exited Egypt and entered into the wilderness until the time they entered the promised land. And it kind of it kind of goes like this. Um, uh, the, the, the first uh, part of this it happened while they were camped at Sinai in the first year after the exodus. The people started to complain because they were thirsty. And um, uh, Exodus 17 says they quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. And Moses replied, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? And then God told him to take his staff and to strike the rock and that water will come out of it for the people to drink. So Moses did this and he called that place Massa and Meribah, which is what's being referred to in the 95th Psalm, which is what's being referred to in Hebrews chapter 3. He calls this place Massa and Meribah because the Israelites quarreled and because they tested the Lord saying, is the Lord among us or not? Uh, Meribah means rebellion. Massa means testing. And so hang on to that just for a minute uh, because we're going to come back to why that's important. But, but then um, not long after the, the, these the children of Israel begin to travel through the wilderness. They travel to the border of the promised land. This should have been a trip that just took really a, a few months at most, even moving one and a half to three million people through uh, a, a difficult terrain. Uh, they, they, they leave Sinai. They move to the border of the promised land. And Moses very famously sends 12 uh, spies, one from each tribe of Israel, to spy out the promised land and to bring back a report to the people Ten of them come back and say, the land is amazing, but there are giants that are so large that we're afraid that we can't, we can't uh, uh, defeat them, and the cities are fortified, and yes, what God promised us is great, but we don't think we can actually do it, that God will actually keep his word and help us. 
actualize his promise. The other two spies, of course, Joshua and Caleb, they, you know, they all agreed on the facts, uh, which is the land is amazing and the giants are big and the cities are fortified and it's going to be a challenge. Everybody agreed on the facts, but Caleb and Joshua mixed what they heard, the good news of the promised land with faith. And because they mixed it with faith, they believed that though, though God's promises were great and challenges were many that God would actually help them do what God had promised they would do. Again, everybody agreed on the facts. One person saw the the possibility and mixed it with faith, or Joshua and Caleb, and the other 10 didn't. Numbers 14 has God saying this in response. So, So what happens? Fear begins to spread like a contagion through the children of Israel. The fear of the 10 spreads to the camp. The people stop, start murmuring and grumbling and complaining and uh, 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 rebelling against Moses and, uh, and, and, and confessing a lack of faith. And God, as he always does at a lack of faith, Listen, guys, if there's anything that God says to you, trust me on this, from understanding Scripture from beginning to end, here's the most important thing God says to you. He says, believe me. It's the most important thing. And these people didn't believe him, and God got upset, and Numbers 14 said, he said, not one of them will ever see the land. I promised on oath to their ancestors. No one who's treated me with contempt will ever see it. Why did they treat him with contempt? They didn't believe him. In this wilderness, your bodies will fall. Every one of you 20 years old or more who's counted in the census and who has grumbled against me, everybody who's old enough to know better. Not one of you will enter the land I swore with uplifted hand to make your home except Caleb and Joshua. So... They then spend 40 years wandering around in the wilderness waiting for all of the people who didn't believe to die. Basically what happens. At the end of 40 years now, here's the other bookend. At the end of 40 years now, they are again on the board of the promised land, about to enter in, and again, there's not enough water to uh, satisfy the thirst of all of those people, and they start to quarrel and grumble against Moses again. Forty years later, they're still grumbling and quarreling. And this time, uh, so now we're in Numbers 20, there was no water for the community, and the people gathered in opposition to Moses and Aaron. They quarreled with Moses and said, why did you bring the Lord's community into this wilderness that we and our livestock should die here? It has no grain or figs, grapevines or pomegranates, and there is no water to eat. You know, just a little side note, part of what's tragic here is they are just a few days from having all the stuff they were complaining about not having. They were right on the verge. And anyway, then the Lord says to Moses, speak to that rock before their eyes and it will pour out its water. And Moses then takes the the staff and he he says, listen, you rebels, listen to the anger in, in the voice of Moses. Listen, you rebels, must we bring you water out of this rock? Then Moses raised his arm and struck the rock twice with his staff. Water gushed out, and the community and their livestock drank. But the Lord said to Moses, because you did not trust in me enough to honor me as holy in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring this community into the land I give them 
These were the waters of Meribah where the Israelites quarreled with the Lord. So, Hebrews chapter 3 quotes from Psalm 95, which refers back to Massa and Meribah. Those terms are only used, one, Massa is only used once. It's used the first time that Moses strikes the rock and water gushes out. And it's used 40 years later, uh, or Meribah then is used 40 years later as they're getting ready to enter the promised land, which is why this whole thing becomes so important because it's kind of descriptive of the whole thing that happens with these people who got so lost and missed out on what God had promised about whom the writer of the Hebrews is warning the people who lived in the first century. If you aren't careful, you're going to make the same kind of mistake. Don't do that. Now, part of the tragedy here is last week we, we, uh, we talked about how great Moses was and, and made the point that the writer of the Hebrews makes that Jesus is greater. But now, 40 years in, Moses is told by God to speak to the rock. Instead, he takes the staff and he's angry at the people and he strikes the rock. And consequently, God says, Moses... Because you didn't trust me, you didn't believe what I said and do what I asked you to do, I'm not going to let you enter the promised land either. And Moses ends up, Moses, Moses ends up missing out on God's promises because he didn't trust God enough to do what God said in the way God said it, which is ultimately how we know whether or not we've actually believed. It's just amazing to me. It's like all of this finally got to Moses. All of this unbelief gets manifest in all these negative ways, and it finally even gets him. Kent Hughes, in his commentary on Hebrews, wrote how that unbelief manifests itself in all kinds of other negative ways. He writes, this unbelief amounted to a contempt for God and spawned an ugly family of behavioral stepchildren. There was negativism. Negativism, of course, has a congenital sister in grumbling. This spawns quarreling. Finally, faithless children disobey. Hardness of heart originates in unbelief, which produces contempt for God, which in turn shows itself in distinct behavioral patterns, namely negativism, grumbling, quarreling, and disobedience. At some point, simply not believing God causes hearts to be hard and all kinds of other negative things to happen. I realize when, I, when I'm tempted to complain, when I start to complain, like frankly this morning when I got up and saw that it was snowing, <clears throat> and, I'm, and I'm thinking about, you know, I, I, a lot of times I'm preaching to myself, if you don't uh, know that, and I'm working through how does, how does this, I, I get convicted, by, whether you guys care or not, I get very convicted by my preaching many times. And I was thinking, I found myself complaining about the snow and just, you know, guys, life is challenging enough right now, right? And just, just to be frank, it's been a challenging season to be a pastor. 
It's been a challenging season to be anybody, anywhere, right? But because I'm a pastor, let me tell you about, listen, enough about me. What do you think of me? No, I'm kidding. That's what Phil Munsing, my friend, always says. Uh, he, he, I was kidding, all right? That wasn't planned. I didn't write that down. Um, from my perspective, waking up on a Sunday morning, you know, it's like COVID and Omicron and I could start listing all the challenge and it's like, could we just have a Sunday? You know, it's Super Bowl Sunday, which is a wonderful thing, except for whatever, I don't know why it affects church attendance. Why? Why? It's tonight, right? But it does. It always does. Every year it does. And I just, you know, and then it's, no, and I find myself complaining and I realize at the root of complaint, even about the challenge of snow and will our volunteers be able to get there and will everybody be able to show up in the band and was everybody going to be okay and the guy's going to show up and, and shovel his snow and all this stuff going through my, my mind. At its root, there's unbelief. Really. If I could just tell you my problem. Because the question is, Yes, it's challenging. Yes, it's difficult. Yes, it's a difficult season in a lot of ways for a lot of us in, in ways that everybody could stand up and talk about the challenges you're facing in your life right now. But if, but if we either believe that God's going to take care of us or we don't, I mean, when it's all said and done, we either believe he is who he says he is. We either believe that he meant what he wrote in his word. We either believe that he works everything out for his good, we, for our good. We either ultimately trust him. To believe him in this context, by the way, is more than just saying, I believe that he exists. It's not just believing in him. It's believing into him. It, the, 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 the better word, according to those I've studied, about the kind of faith that's being discussed in Hebrews is trust. Do I trust him? Do I really believe that God is going to do what he said? Is he really going to take care of me? Is he, is, is, did, did he call me to that promise? And then I look at the promise and I see all the giants. Can I really believe that he's going to help me face the challenges and go after it to build that new business or to finish my education or to uh, 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 figure out how to, how to achieve this goal that I felt like God put in my heart. I'm talking about you guys now. Can I really trust him? At its root, everything ends up becoming about whether or not we simply believe that God is going to do what he said he's going to do. And when we don't fundamentally get that right, then all this other stuff shows up and all this stuff kept showing up and became such, created such an environment, such a contagion of fear and negativity among the people that Moses himself ends up in reaction to them not trusting God and missing out on what God promised him to do. So anyway, when you read Hebrews 3 and he's talking about the testing and then the quarreling and, and, and the 95th Psalm and Meribah and Massa, that's what it's all about. And the warning is don't do that. Now what's the antidote to this? Well, let's go back to something we already read 
Hebrews 3.12, see to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart, but encourage one another daily. This is part of our responsibility to one another. It is to encourage one another daily. As long as it's called today, we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the end. We have to believe and we have to keep hold of faith. We have to hold our original conviction to the end. To those people in the first century, they had first believed, they'd come into relationship with God. I'm sure it was a wonderful thing. The problem is now it's two or three years later and life's tough. It's what's happening. They were just human beings like we are. And there are little, you know, network of house churches from best we can understand, you know, maybe a few hundred people in a city of a million, cast out by their Jewish brothers and sisters. The Romans think they're crazy because they think Jesus is Lord, not Caesar. And these people, they had believed. But the question is, can you hold firm to your original conviction? That's the question for us, guys. Can we keep believing when we face yet another challenge? Can we keep believing? All right. Here's a second antidote to unbelief. It's to work to rest. Work to rest. And this is, this is in response now as we leave Hebrews 3 and enter into Hebrews 4, which is really what I'm supposed to be focused on today. Um, this is in response to Hebrews 4, 1 through 13. I'll take it in bite sizes, Okay. So Hebrews 4, 1 through 2, therefore, now whenever in Scripture, you've heard this before, whenever in Scripture you see the word therefore, you have to ask the question, what is it therefore, right? So the therefore is in response to all the stuff I've been up here bloviating about, okay? That's what therefore, because of all of that, he says, since the promise of entering his rest still stands. So it wasn't just about the promised land Thousands of years ago, he says, now to you guys in Rome, and certainly to those of us sitting here today in West Orange or wherever you're watching from, there's still a promise of rest. Let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the good news proclaimed to us just as they did. But the message they heard was of no value to them because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. Or I like the way the New King James Version has that. The word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. So he says, those people in the wilderness had the good news proclaimed to them. What was the good news? The good news was, we're on our way to the promised land. This is what God promised Abraham, our father, 400 years ago. We're about to go take it. That was the good news. But they didn't mix it with faith. And he says, now you've had good news preached to you. What's the good news that's been preached to us? Well, the good news, the gospel that's been preached to us, of course, is who Jesus is and what Jesus came and did through his life, death, burial, resurrection, exaltation to sit at the right hand of God That's the good news. Now the question is, do we mix the good news with faith? That's the secret to overcoming the sin of unbelief. Now he's talking here about how that there's still a promise of rest. 
And this will be the last kind of technical part of today's uh, message, I hope. Um, but it's important that we kind of, t- because it's talked about so much here, what is, what is meant by this word rest in the text? When we read about rest in this passage, we're referencing at least five things. First, there is a reference that will come up as we continue to read Hebrews 4 of as to how God rested from his work on the seventh day. So when God created the world, the, 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 the narrative in Genesis tells us on the seventh day, God rested from his work. And there's a big deal in Bible scholarship about the fact that there was no evening to the seventh day, which is to say that when God finished creating, he entered his rest and that he still is in his rest and that we are invited to join him in his rest. Now, this doesn't mean God isn't working because God is working. I could go into all kind of text in scripture about that. But there's, there's, a, there's a work work and there's a work in rest work in scripture. The word rest or Sabbath doesn't mean to rest from work. It means to rest in work. And so what would we mean? What would that look like in terms of God entering rest but still working? It means he's not working from a place of anxiety. He's not working from a place of fear. He's not working from a place of worry. He completely trusts in himself. He believes in himself. He knows that he knows the end of the story, if you please. So though he's working, he's not nervous about his work. So you can work hard tomorrow, and it can be work that's mixed in faith, or it can be work that's about fear. And if you're anxious, and if you're nervous, and if you're complaining, and if you're grumbling, and if you're quarreling, and if you're rebelling, and you all, if, you, if your work is the work of anxious human effort, it's not work that's mixed God's good news with faith. This is a big idea, guys. When you are a faith person, you can work your backside off, and still be in a place called rest if you're working in faith. Okay, so God invites us to enter the rest he entered when he finished creation. He is in a perpetual state of rest even though he's working. Second, we're asking the question, what does rest mean in this text the promised land was the rest promised to the children of Israel. So that the, the rest is, is descriptive of God's people being promised to enter the promised land. Um, again, that didn't mean that they wouldn't work either. They, it's called uh, God's rest, yet they, would have, they had to fight giants. They had to take cities. They had to cultivate land. They had to harvest resources. It didn't mean that they entered in the promised land and sat on their... Why do I keep coming back to this avoidable term, backside? It's not like that's not what rest was. It just meant that they, they, they faced the challenges with faith in God that God was going to help them and give them success. So the promised land was rest. Third, the rest refers to the future rest promised in Psalm 95, as we'll read in a minute, that would come through faith in Jesus. So part of what happens in Psalm 95 
is the is that David lets it be known that the rest that Joshua and Caleb and the other uh, children of Israel entered in the promised land was not the final rest. It was a type of a rest that was yet to come. And this was a messianic prophecy, a prophecy of the rest that would come when Jesus came and defeated sin and death and invites us into relationship with God the Father. Fourth, rest refers to living in a renewed heaven and earth and and fulfilling our purposes there forever. We're actually going to work in that new place. Final rest, we taste, when we believe in Jesus, we enter God's rest. But the final manifestation of that rest will not be known until the age to come. But even that rest, guys, if you've never heard me teach about this, there's not time to talk about it today. We're not going to be floating around on clouds playing harps. We're going to be in a renewed heaven and earth doing what God created Adam and Eve to do in the, in the first place. The, the age to come is a restoration of what God always wanted in the beginning. Well, that's another way that we talk about rest. And then finally, and this is what I really want to focus on the rest of our 30 minutes today, is that rest is... You're not going to laugh at anything, are you? You just felt fear. See, when you just felt fear, that's not rest. That was the sin of unbelief. Your response to me acting like I was going to teach for 30 more minutes. Here's the fifth thing that I, I, I think that rest is referring to. It's entering into and living in anything God has promised us. Rest for us. What do you believe God's promised in your life? What do you believe God's promised you? What do you believe God's promised you? Based promises based in the teaching of his word. What do you think he's promised you about your children? Are you anxious about your your child or your children right now? That's not rest. You have to hear, you have to look at the promises in scripture about your children. And you have to hear those promises as good news. And you have to mix it with faith. And then you conduct your relationship with your children, not from a perspective of anxiousness, which keeps, you know, creates an environment where the opposite of what you want to happen will happen, but rather you engage in your relationship with your children from a place of rest. Rest is like, I really do trust God about this kind of things do you believe God's promised you about your finances? What kind of things do you believe God's promised you about your marriage? What kind of things do you think God's promised you about your business? What kind of things do you think God's promised you about your future? Do you believe? If you do, you have entered at least to some extent into this place called rest. And now you go to work in your rest with faith that God is at work in his rest to bring you completely to the things he's promised you. So the good news is God's promised wonderful things for your life. The question is, do you believe? Do you trust? 
So how do we enter rest today? We hear the good news and we mix it with faith. Um, See, the children of Israel in the wilderness heard the good news from Moses and Joshua and Caleb and did not mix it with faith. Um, Hebrews 4, 1 and 2, Therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear. There is something to be afraid of. What you're supposed to be afraid of is living in fear. There's something that you're supposed to work towards, this text tells you. What you're supposed to work towards is not trusting in your own work. The message of Hebrews is focus on Jesus, focus on Jesus, focus on Jesus. He is greater than anything else. Listen to him. He's, he, has, he has better good news than the good news that's ever been shared, and he has better promises. Focus on Jesus. What we're supposed to work on is not trusting in our own work. And what we're supposed to be afraid of is being afraid and not exercising faith. Therefore, since promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear lest any of you seem to have come short of it. For indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as to them, but the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. Let's pick up, and I'll hasten to a close here, let's pick up with the rest of uh, Hebrews 4 then. Hebrews 4, 3 through 8, the text picks up, now we who have believed enter that rest. Now with everything I've said, the the text kind of speaks for itself. Now we who have believed enter that rest, just as God has said, 95th Psalm again, so I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. And yet, His works have been finished since the creation of the world. For somewhere, Genesis 2 verse 2, he has spoken about the seventh day in these words, on the seventh day God rested from all his works. And again, in the passage above, he says, Psalm 95 again, they shall never enter my rest. Therefore, since it still remains for some to enter that rest, and since those who formerly had the good news proclaimed to them did not go in because of their disobedience, the children of Israel in the wilderness, God again set a certain day calling it today. When is today? Today is today. This he did when a long time later he spoke through David a long time after what was going on in the wilderness, as in the passage already quoted, Psalm 95. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if, and now a new character is introduced into Hebrews, only the second time in all of the New Testament that his name is mentioned. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken about it have spoken later about another day. So now, the question for these Jewish Christians in Rome is, is there still a rest that comes to us through Jesus, or did our people already enter the rest when Joshua actually now took over from Moses and led the people in the promised land? Well, you, you probably know this. Some of you certainly do. In the Greek, which is the language that the New Testament is originally written in, Joshua and Jesus are exactly the same. Jesus was named after Joshua. So Joshua was the Jesus of the Old Testament. He's the one who takes over from Moses and he leads the people into the promised land. 
Jesus now, in the bigger picture of everything, has taken over from Moses, and he now leads those who believe in him into the ultimate rest, the ultimate promised land. And so what the writer, are you confused yet? Or you, you, I hope that I'm making that clear. It's a lot. Listen, I'm packing a whole lot into these Sundays and uh, you're kind just to stay awake. And I'm very, very grateful. Um, so, so, so the writer to the Hebrews is saying, Joshua did take God's people into the rest of the promised land. The old Testament, Jesus took God's people into the rest of the promised land. But he says, David said, that wasn't the ultimate rest because he said, there remains a rest for the people of God. And the writer of Hebrews says, this is it. It's today. It's now. The people now who are recipients of the promise of the good news are you. And Jesus, the New Testament Jesus, the Jesus is now going to enter his people into the rest that God is really ultimately all about. And then Hebrews 4, 9, there remains then, and here's another new term. I won't try to get into this now. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. What does that Sabbath rest look like? He said it, I believe it. He promised it, it's going to happen. About anything, about something you're facing today or about eternal life. (sighs) Sabbath rest. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their anxious striving works, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. He said, How do you, what are you going to make an effort to do? You're going to make an effort to not make an effort to do what he already efforted to do. You're going, to tr- you're going to make an effort to trust him. All right, here's the third antidote, and uh, we're going to wrap this thing up. It's to immerse yourself in God's word. I'll just read the last two verses of Hebrews chapter 4 <clears throat> so I can check the Hebrews 4 box as we move forward in this series. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing, even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. A lot to be said about all of that, but let's just say it like this. God's word, which you've been hearing taught here today, is alive and it's active and it's a double-edged sword. And it will pierce into the deepest part of who you are. And part of the double-edged reality of it is, if you mix what you hear with faith, it cuts you and heals you. If you don't mix it with faith, it just cuts you. But if you mix hearing God's word with faith, 
God's word is active, it's alive, it's powerful. It changes us, it remakes us.